0: A minute, it's been too long. First of all, how are you? I'm doing fine, David. How are you? I'm also doing okay, feeling a little under the weather. So, for our audience, uh, apologize if I sound nasally. I am get with it. Um, <laughs> welcome back everyone to another episode of Real Beasts, your favorite podcast with no apparent strategy for releasing content (laughs) (laughs) it's true it's been almost as long
1: between (laughs) recording sessions as is the subject of this real beast episode which i think (laughs) kind of straddles the line between real and unreal beasts in the sense that it's not actually about a prehistoric animal but it's also not quite a real animal in the way that it's depicted here which is something we'll talk about later but it's a lot closer than a creature film like godzilla might be
0: Yeah, which is fully taking significant liberties with its depiction of a creature. Ben, we got to tell the people what's going on today. What movie did we watch? We watched Anaconda
1: from 1997, starring Jennifer Lopez. And Ice Cube. And John Voigt. You continue to be right. And Owen Wilson. (laughs) <laughs> among many others, and even Danny Trejo for a hot second.
0: I know, a very underutilized Danny Trejo. This movie is stacked. It had has everything going for it. It's got an amazing cast, uh, a fun, adventurous idea, and I don't know if it holds up necessarily, but I still loved it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this is a movie, I feel like we've touched on some movies recently recently, in the Godzilla-esque vein, where it's not Mm -hmm. a good movie by any reasonable metric that one could use. However, it's just a hell of a lot of fun. And this movie, it kind of reminds me in a way, I think that this comparison is comparing unfavorably to the goodness of this movie that I'm going to say, but it's kind of like The Mummy when it came out in 1999, Mm. where it's like, The Mummy I think is actually a pretty good movie, but it's just like a fun time to see yeah it. and watching yeah. anaconda in 2022 is wild because there is this snapshot of the <laughs> 90s that you're getting here with its pros and its cons things you definitely couldn't do today and trying to grapple with how you feel about that in the modern day but mm-hmm. it's a fun movie and it sort of became a cult classic because of how outrageous it is and yeah i kind of yeah. think that it takes some risks that maybe movies tend not to as they're all vetted 7,000 times. And again, I don't I have like a boomer attitude towards movies. Movies these days, they don't work as hard as you. It's more like <laughs> they're not as weird because I feel like there's too much concern about losing your money by not doing something that kind of goes right down the middle of the road. And right. this is a strange movie that makes some strange choices. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of fun to watch as sort of a, a B movie.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually very well put because this movie does take some ridiculous choices with its 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 action sequences, with its character development or lack thereof. Like th- the dialogue is odd <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> And yet I think it still works. And obviously it's got this cult following. If you say the movie Anaconda, most people know it. Some people maybe haven't seen it, but even if you haven't seen it, you know of it. The movie Anaconda, it's like got this like, yeah, like you said, it's sort of got this like B movie, like weird horror movie kind of following. And it's got, I mean, we should say it on on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 40%. Okay, And an audience score is even worse of 24%. Wow. Which is pretty abysmal for a movie that still is talked about. I mean, not talked about a lot, but it's definitely, you know, out there. I think yeah. part of the reason it's still talked about is the fact that JLo lo is in it and Ice Cube. And, you know, there's all these actors in it that are still doing things. Um, it's just, it's it's a lot of fun. It's got a very familiar story structure. Uh, we've we've talked a lot about movies where an adventurous crew is going into a place where humans haven't been in a long time or, you know, oftentimes it's, oh, Europeans have never been here. So nobody knows, quote unquote, nobody uh, knows anything about this area. In this movie, it's the Amazon. One of our first episodes of Real Beasts we ever did, we talked about The 1924 or 1926, maybe, movie, The Lost World. And this story is basically that exact story. (laughs) You just jumped right over 1925.
1: Is
0: it 25? I I had to look it up. That's
1: hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny.
0: Okay, excuse me. 1925, (laughs) uh, The Lost World. It's the same kind of thing. In this story, instead of a group of scientists, it's a couple of... National Geographic explorers trying to make a documentary about an indigenous group of people living deep in the Amazon rainforest. The Shuri Shamas, the Shuri Shamas, and this this film crew is is looking to to explore the area, meet these people, learn about them, and make a documentary about it. JLo is the director of the uh, documentary. Ice Cube is like the what is it? He's the camera guy, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um,
0: I'm not sure what Owen Wilson was doing. He might be a sound guy. Owen Wilson also <laughs> has a friend uh, played by Carrie Werrer, whose name is Denise. Uh, she kind of does nothing <laughs> the whole movie. There's another like leader guy who's been in the Amazon. He's like a head scientist dude. Yeah, there's an Eric anthropologist
1: Stultz. there, Eric Stoltz, Dr. Stephen Kale. He becomes yeah. J Lo's principal love interest, but he's actually rendered completely out of the picture for the vast majority of this movie, as we'll talk about in a second.
0: Yeah. Um there's also Jonathan Hyde plays the rich guy who seems to be funding this whole thing. And uh, I think the he, character's name he is Warren he might have been hired
1: to be the narrator for this documentary. Oh, okay. But he's very hey, yeah, kind of pompous sense. and like very British.
0: Yeah. He's He's hitting golf balls off the back of their riverboat into the Amazon River, so he cares (laughs) nothing for what they're actually doing
1: And you're right. Owen Wilson, Gary, is the sound guy.
0: There it is. Okay, yeah. Then we've got another little cast of characters. Um, Danny Trejo plays just a poacher uh, at the very beginning of this movie when we're first introduced to how dangerous the giant anaconda snake is. Um, But underutilized. I think he gets killed by the snake Like within the first eight minutes of the movie, and it took me a second to realize it was Danny Trejo.
1: Yeah, so he's so terrified. This is like the opening scene of the movie. He's so Mm -hmm. terrified of of, you know, you know, it's the anaconda because the movie's called Anaconda. But really, you have no clue based on the actual film itself what the heck is happening Mm -hmm. besides something is coming and literally like busting the floorboards out from his poacher's (laughs) hut. But he actually dies by suicide at the top of this. He, um, You're right. At the I top forgot. of his little tower because he doesn't want to get killed by the anaconda. That's how afraid he is.
0: Um, yeah. But yeah, it was just Really like a, setting a the sta- stage for how frightening this snake is supposed to be, even though we haven't seen it yet. Which this movie does a good job of taking some cues from movies like Jaws, where they really don't show us the snake for a really long time, which I think
1: mm-hmm.
0: is. It's, it's good. You don't necessarily want to see the monster in a monster movie right away because it ruins the suspense of seeing it. If you're going to do it right, make sure once you finally do see the monster, it is scary. It is good looking. I think this movie is moderately successful at that. Yeah. I actually <laughs> just I don't think the effects are that bad.
1: Like, I think the human stories are much goofier than the monster action in this movie. Oh, 100%. Movie.
0: Yeah, the snake actually holds up. They do a lot of animatronics and puppetry in this one, which I think holds up really well. Some of the actual CGI, I think, is a little bit... I mean, you can tell. You can tell it's late 90s CGI, and they're not doing it in the way that made Jurassic Park so successful, which was only a couple of years before this. Yeah. Even Lost World Jurassic Park was right around this time, or maybe the same year. Same year. Um, And this movie just doesn't look as good as those when it is clearly the CGI snake. There's other things, though, that I think look great. We'll get to all of that eventually, though.
1: And I just looked up, just for the the sake of completion here, that Carrie Werr's character, Denise, is a production manager. Uh, However, that's not okay. really clear very much in the story. Um, and she Yeah, is, she's not doing much managing. She's partners with <laughs> Owen Wilson's character. So that mm-hmm. kind of plays into a few things that go on. And then there's a character, Mateo, Played by yeah. Vincent Castellanos, and he is the one who's driving the boat. Mm-hmm. So that kind of completes yeah. our it's a pretty we self-contained story in the sense that it's all these characters, and then we run into John Voigt, Paul Saron, yes, a few minutes Mr. into the movie, Sir. and that <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Sir in the flesh. And that that's really the moment that kicks off all the disaster aspect of this entire film. But that's mm-hmm. everyone. And so all the dynamics that take place are just between these characters and a couple of
0: big-ass snakes. Yeah, and it, it starts out with this hilarious bit of text right at the beginning of the movie that basically gives you a bit of, I mean, it's supposed to be like information about the snake, but it's pretty much misinformation. I think I've, everything that I've read about this and from what we know about actual snakes, this movie doesn't do a horrible job at describing what snakes do, their behavior, what, you know, that kind of stuff. But they really exaggerate everything. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, this snake can get, it's the biggest in the world. It can get 40 feet long. Uh, they max out at about 30 to 33 feet long, which is still huge That is a huge snake (laughs) but they say it can get even bigger than it actually can um in that bit of text at the beginning they mention this horrifying idea that they'll uh they're so murderous that they'll regurgitate their food just so they can kill again which is like based partially in truth about snakes my understanding because you and i ben we used to work at the cal academy of sciences we did the snake program there where we would hold a ball python or a corn snake or a rainbow boa, and uh, we would talk about snakes. And so we know a little bit about snakes. I wouldn't say either of us are snake experts, but I do know that yes, snakes will vomit up what they've eaten, but it's not so they can kill again. (laughs) It's because if a snake has just eaten and then it's threatened by a predator, a snake can't move as fast when it's digesting whatever it's eating. In its tummy, right? And so, yeah, a snake will regurgitate what it ate so that it can slither away quickly from danger. And yeah, it's going to have to kill again, I guess, because it's got to eat again now that it gave up that other food. But it's not, it's not what this movie makes it out to be, which no. I think is, you know, it's not exactly like, nobody's going into this movie to be like, oh, good, I'm going to learn about anacondas. <laughs> yeah. That's not what this movie tries to be. And I think they actually generally do a fairly good job of making this a believable snake, even though it's an unbelievable snake in the movie. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think there's this idea in film that the predatory animal has to have this aspect of killing for sport for it to be right. maximally scary. But that's yeah. so exceedingly rare in the natural world because yeah. it's hunting is risky. Yeah. It's always a dangerous behavior. Not to say the animals don't do unnecessarily dangerous things. For example, animals that are, you know, flooded with testosterone during like the mating season will sometimes just engage in unnecessary fighting or charging mm-hmm. or other violent acts that, you know, put the animal in danger because it's just kind of overwhelmed with hormones and stuff. That does happen. But for predators and their eating and hunting behaviors, it's very rare. There are some Maybe you could say that in some mammals, like in cetaceans, killer whales will sometimes kill seals and play with them and then do it again, you know, because that's just what they, they yeah. have, like, a, that dangerous level of intelligence where boredom sets in, and that's never yeah. a good sign. Uh, bored that's animals
0: can do some, some wild stuff. The only animals that, that kill for sport are the ones intelligent enough to be bored with killing just for sustenance. <laughs> So humans top the list off right away. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's why some of the best horror movies out there are where in the there's nothing scarier than people. You know, True. I mean, if you're in a green anaconda's territory, and there are no other people around, like yeah, I think I'd be more fearful of an anaconda than people. But generally, mm, people are scary. Well, if
1: John Voight were there, I'd be more scared of his politics than anything else, probably. That's true. It should
0: be said right up front, fuck John Voight, uh, the actor. Also, this character he plays is a real (laughs) shithead (laughs) in
1: this movie. Yeah. Well, and this is going to go on record. So here we are, Dave. We're making our strongest stance yet. There we go. Not that strong.
0: We (laughs) we don't even need to say why. Just like everyone surely agrees. Fuck John Voight. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, my gosh. John Voight plays an interesting character in this movie. The, The... The kind of film crew, once they've gotten onto the boat, oh, wait, side note, I have to say something about Ice Cube. Okay, yes, go ahead. Because in the first, his literally, I think his first, maybe second line he utters in this movie is, today is a good day, which if you know Ice Cube, he has a song from Today Was a Good Day. And I noticed that when I was watching this. This was also my first time watching Anaconda. So it was just a delight what? To, to see it. Yeah, I had never You're seen it before. You're kidding. I know. So everything was brand new for me. Oh, my but, gosh, David. like, first thing Ice Cube says is directly quoting his own song. And I was like, "I, they must have done that on purpose. Like, that's oh, really funny. Yeah. But here's the thing, Ben. A little while later... I was watching the movie Twenty One Jump Street, which Ice Cube is also in. He plays the like police captain or whatever who's sending Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum off to be undercover agents at the high school, right? Well, in Twenty One Jump Street, <laughs> one of the first lines Ice Cube says is "Get your motherfucking ass up," which is also from another song oh that Ice my Cube does. God, dude. And I realized, holy shit. Does Ice Cube do this in every movie he's in? And I only have a sample size of two movies where he quotes himself as the character he's playing in the movie. And I need to watch more things with Ice Cube in it because I feel like this is a thing that he's been doing and nobody realized it. <laughs>
1: hey, sample size of two. There
0: have been some studies that have
1: been published on sample sizes of
0: two. I know, right? Now I gotta, I, I won't do it now since we're recording, but I gotta go through. Ice Cube's discography and also filmography to find the correlations between things oh he's done. Oh my gosh, that is so it just, wild! It just it cracked me up when I was watching this, and then when he did it again with another one of his songs in Twenty One Jump Street, I was like, "Hold on, there, there there's there's a correlation here. Hold it may phone. be causation by Ice Cube himself." <laughs> that is hilarious, <laughs> which I love. A bit of pop culture stuff going on within this movie. That's referencing the '90s in a very fun way. It's just this movie is deeply 1990s, deeply I mean, '90s. It's it's crazy. I mean, the fact that we have J Lo, Ice Cube, Owen Wilson, and John Boyd, and Danny Trejo all in the same movie together is. I mean, that's extremely '90s. And J Lo had it's only a just cast. done I mean, Selena. it's a talented, talented group of
1: actors. Yeah, and, you know, I feel like everybody does their part very earnestly, and that actually makes yeah. it more hilarious because they're in just ridiculous situations, but they're all acting. They're playing it kind of straight.
0: Yeah, they are. I think everyone actually does a really good job acting in this movie. It's just that the material they are working with is so like goofy and it's inescapably goofy. I don't think you could write better dialogue and make it less goofy. It's just the situations they're in. Like it's just hilarious and just fun. And that's why I think some of the things that haven't aged as well, like, of course, there's a little bit of sexism. Like, JLo, I don't think, ever wears a bra in this movie, and she only wears very thin tops. You know, it's like, that shit happens. But it's more forgivable, I think, because the movie is not taking itself so seriously. But I say that to each their own. Some people might find things that are more problematic in this movie. Of course, the treatment of the indigenous people is not great. They're, they never really show up. They're never... Really, characters, even the like, quote unquote, native people who are supposed to be from Brazil. I don't think any of them are actually Brazilian people. So you know, Mm, there's all those kinds of things going on, but they're expected from a movie of this era, and especially just a, a funny, gimmicky action adventure horror movie.
1: Yeah, I guess like so. Who do you know who directed this
0: film? His name is Luis Yosa. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think it's one of those things where like the not done so, a lot the, since the this JLo movie. <laughs> sort of like the objectification of J Lo in this movie. It's like one could imagine that you could make a movie that was like, okay, we're gonna give like the choice and the agency to both the actor and the director to kind of flip that, to like use that deliberately in order mm-hmm. to sort of subvert that classic Male gaze kind of narrative, but yeah. here it doesn't do that. So this is like yeah. the, the way that the old fashioned way in which it's kind of a joke in the sense that John Voight's character, like absurdly, gazes at J Lo with like his face yeah. turned his his mouth like the tips of his corners of his lips are all the way down by his chin and his eyes are squinting and it's like so it's supposed to be ridiculous
0: in that it's sense that John Voight scowl yeah but but <laughs> they're still doing it
1: so it's like haha yeah. it's a joke but also you're in the theater and you're also here for that so like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like poking fun at itself but like it's also happening so that's the interesting yeah. play they're doing there but when it when you were talking about Maybe folks will find some more objectionable things. I think that there are many, <laughs> perhaps, that are Ooh, yeah. that are more. And and let's let's get to it. I wanna I wanna challenge myself um to do something right now, if you'll allow me, David. I, I'll allow it, yes. Okay, so this movie has a pretty thin plot because it's basically just how do we get anacondas to kill people? Yeah. In a cool way. And I'm gonna try to do a sub two minute recap. Of the very basics, hell yeah! Because, Give our, as we, our, as you know, in the modern day, Eliud Kupchoge, the finest marathoner that's ever lived, has been trying to go sub two hours in the marathon. So his sub two has been, been this major barrier he's been trying to break, which he did in a controlled environment race with pacers on a controlled wow. course. Wow! I didn't, I didn't know he'd done it. He'd done it. But he's not done it quite yet on an open course, like real, quote-unquote, real marathon. He's got down to 201, I think. It's just ridiculous. that is bonkers. But anyway, I'm going to try to do— Two hours and one
0: second or one minute? One minute, I think. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) He might have even gotten closer. Like, might have been two flat and something seconds. Um, But we won't get bogged down in that. I'm going to try to do a sub-two-minute. Recap here basically so we can get to the good stuff,
0: which is yeah, let's do it. Which is give like give our, our yeah. followers, our listeners, some uh sea legs with what we're talking about.
1: Okay, here we are three, two, one. A film crew is heading to the Amazon to make a documentary about the Shiri Shamas, an indigenous tribe. The crew contains all the characters we talked about. They're going to find them, but they're very hard to find. They stumble upon John Voigt's character, a Paraguayan snake hunter named Paul Serone, who convinces them that he can help them find this tribe. Serone is ridiculous and outrageous and quickly takes over the boat. Kale, who is JLo's character's love interest, has a wasp down his throat that stings him, and then he is apparently saved by John Voigt, who cuts open his trachea. I think, to allow him to get air, even though his throat's all swollen up. But he's yeah. then sidelined for pretty much the whole movie. The Anacondas come. They start eating people. They eat some of the crew, including the boat driver, Mateo, also including Owen Wilson's character, the sound guy. Wow. This leads to a lot of attempted mutinies on Saron's control of the ship. And... They continue forward. Cerone starts killing people slash sabotaging anyone's ability to survive, um, even though he ostensibly is the one that can help them survive because he's the most skilled at hunting and thriving in this environment. And then there is a climax at the end in which Ice Cube and J-Lo are stuck as bait for an extremely large anaconda. And yet the tables turn. It ends up hunting and swallowing, and then regurgitating, of course, cerone <laughs> and then they survive. And at the very end, there's a few characters, including Kale, J-Lo. I'm using their actual character names and their <laughs> and their actor names interchangeably, and Ice Cube, and they actually find the tribe at the end. Voila, sub two. Wow, that was incredibly impressive. 15759. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and of course, I missed nice a ton work. of stuff about like the order of operations, but I feel like it's just not worth doing a play-by-play on this one, because I think there's some interesting character stuff to talk about, especially with Saron, and also mm-hmm. interesting snake stuff that I would just rather do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this is an episode where the plot is the least important thing going on, because it's actually a decent plot. Yeah. and. It You know, it works, and I think there's, you know, I'm always going to be a sucker for an adventure movie where you take a motley crew, send them into a dangerous locale with one specific most dangerous thing that's out there, and it hunts them, and they have to get out. That's a successful plot line.
1: Yeah, now, is there, has there ever been well, a movie <laughs> like this where people don't get picked off one by one? Is there any other way to do it?
0: I mean, thematically, I feel like you have to build the suspense. And if you don't kill off each person, it doesn't feel like that suspense is worth it. Right. Because then, oh, we're all surviving. We're all afraid of a bit. Like, imagine it's something different, like a big manatee in the river. And they're like, oh, my God, we don't know what it is. And it- and you never really see it. So it builds up the suspense. But everyone's afraid of it. And then when you finally see it, it doesn't eat someone. Oh, that- It just eats some seagrass. You know
1: what? That kind of reminds me. This is some mental gymnastics I've just done here, David. But you know what that 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 is kind of like how The Village was for me.
0: Oh, spoiler alert! (laughs) The Village, M. Night Shyamalan's worst marketed film. Oh my god! That movie is a rom-com packaged as a horror movie, and it's not. Yeah. So the the Village is
1: the proverbial manatee (laughs) in the river. (laughs)
0: Yeah, where you think something's gonna happen and it's a goddamn nothing burger at the end. That's that's right. <laughs> yeah, but you know
1: that's a great point. Like if everyone's just surviving, I feel like it becomes a like kids' movie where it's like no, nobody can die because that's impossible. It's a kids' movie right, or like right that kind of thing going on. But also, if you like kill multiple people at once, it's like so jarring that like you don't even have their reactions to use as something that builds the suspense. So mm-hmm. this, this goes to that same formula. Initially, there is a big anaconda that is the one that eats Owen Wilson hilariously. Well, he, he eats Owen he oh. attacks Owen Wilson. Yeah. Saron, uh John Voight's character prevents them from shooting it because mm-hmm. he wants to capture the snake alive for the most money. Really, Cerrone doesn't want to help them find this tribe at all. He's just trying to capture these snakes for the most money. He's a poacher.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and he's, he's just like, oh, it. it's to my benefit to to help these folks out because they're heading down the river and they have a boat that works. Right. And he's actually in cahoots, which is one of my favorite words, <laughs>
1: <laughs> with uh, Mateo, the boat driver. So when they stumble upon Cerrone's, like wrecked little boat and he's hanging on in a storm, that's like staged basically, to mm-hmm. give Cerone a vessel more equipped to take
0: him where he wants to go. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like It's the necessity of bringing these characters together is, you know, it makes sense. But, of course, the crew is, is sort of like aware that this guy is dangerous and they're uncomfortable with having to follow him, but they don't really have any choice because he knows the area better than they do right? and the one guy who does know the area has now is swallowed a bee or whatever and is down for the count
1: <laughs> yeah so Kale kind of pisses off Saron, Eric Stoltz's character Kale, the anthropologist just in terms of having the most control of this boat so Saron mm-hmm. in- immediately tries to play the alpha male, it's his way or the highway and Kale kind of very slightly pushes back and that's enough to seal his fate in Serone's eyes. And Serone mm-hmm. knows he can manipulate them by. he's He actually puts the wasp in the air system of Dr. Kale. That's right. I forgot that he was. While he's the down trying culprit. to cut out. Um, the boat gets stuck in some Amazonian mm-hmm. shrubbery, basically. And. As he's down there, it goes through his air pipe and stings him on the inside of the throat. And then Saron ostensibly saves him by opening up his windpipe and allowing him to breathe. But in reality, that was just all, a whole play that he's just done there. And yeah. he also he, sideline, he sidelines Kale. He also makes people trust his sort of like survivalist abilities because he's just saved this guy.
0: Yeah. At one point, one of my favorite lines of John Voight's is, He's he's looking at the river and he's like, The river the river will kill you in a thousand ways. And like the way he says it and his stupid, like glinty scowl, it's like, yeah, well, you could also kill us in a thousand ways, bro. Yeah, and (laughs) he does. I think I'd take my chances with the river because at least it doesn't have an agenda. (laughs) That's true.
1: Yeah, let's talk about fucking Saron, David. Let's talk about Sarone. Because here's the thing. It's John Voight playing a Paraguayan dude with a completely yeah. made up accent that doesn't exist. Fully fake. Fully made up, but he is by far the most entertaining part of this movie in my opinion. He in a absolutely big way, yeah. carries this movie and it's you can't take your eyes off of him.
0: Yeah. He's He's one of those dudes who's like, you know, John Voight's like an, a serious actor. He's been in very serious roles and he does a good job. Fuck him, but like that's what he does. And then he does this melodrama in this movie like with like a with with a literal wink as the last thing he does <laughs> <laughs> after he's been regurgitated by the the anaconda. But like it's so I mean, he toes the line of goofiness and seriousness so perfectly because everything he does is sort of with a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience. Like, how ridiculous am I? Watch me get slightly more ridiculous as each scene that I'm in happens. And it's it's great. It's so fun and it's ridiculous and it's stupid in a lot of ways. But, man, it, what it, what an entertaining adventure it is because of that character.
1: Yeah, that character is... Genuinely, it's one of those classic cases where, you know, the human villain is the bigger villain than the creature villain. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's like, what What do you do with this character who, you know, should never be playing this guy and or this character should never even really exist. And yet here yeah. we are confronted with someone who's playing this as if he's hamming it up. To the level of honey-baked hamitude that I've <laughs> rarely
0: seen in a movie in my life. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love it. Yeah, it's nuts. It's it's nuts. It's it's one of the great things that you can get when you get an an actor who is very serious about their craft and you put them in a movie that's significantly less serious than what they're used to. And and they they kick ass. I mean, there's all these amazing examples of actors who are able to do that well. I think, you know, people like Tom Hanks are really good at playing dramatic roles, but then you throw them into a kind of a comedy role and they shine, you know, do something a little bit different from what they're used to and what they're known to be good at. Um, and the, the, the opposite is true too. comedians going into dramatic roles. I mean, mm-hmm. Robin Williams is an amazing example of that. I would even argue Jonah Hill has managed to do that in an mm-hmm. incredible way lately. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's fun to watch solid actors flexing their skill. And I think John Voight is, he's he has this character in Cerrone who is a really fun character to watch. But I think, you know, all the characters in this movie have something enjoyable to see. J-Lo does a really good job as her character. Ice Cube even does a really good job. Yeah. I would argue that Ice Cube is sort of the actual hero of this movie because he's the only one who keeps being like, fuck this guy. Like, why are we following him? Right. Like, let's yeah. do the other thing. And J-Lo's like, no, no, we need him. And Ice Cube's like, all right, you're the director like, <laughs> of right. our documentary. Yeah. Like, fine. Owen Wilson and, and, uh, uh, oh gosh, what's her name? Where did, where did Carrie were? Carrie were. They have a really funny, like, they're, like, clearly, I don't know if they're dating or if they just have a thing going on or if they're just, like, at one point, Owen Wilson is, like, oh, being out here on the river makes me horny or some shit like that. It's so goofy. Like, everyone is going for this level of goofiness that is really fun to see in this movie, and I think it works well. Yeah. But, man, serone above the rest, I think. Yeah. For sure. Yeah,
1: everyone's a caricature. Jonathan Hyde as Warren Westridge, he is, you know, like, as you mentioned, I don't know if it was before or after we started rolling, but he's, like, hitting golf balls on the back of the boat. Yeah. And, you know, and he's... Yeah, it's just a nice collection of very differentiable characters. So there's definitely yeah. no risk that you're going to be like, what is this person's role in this group dynamic? What is this mm-hmm. person going to act like in this situation? They mm-hmm. are in that sense, like all of their kind of character attributes are very distinct from one another. So it makes it really easy to follow how things might develop. But yeah. I didn't necessarily predict that Gary Owen Wilson's character would sort of side with Cerone and say, you know what? It is a better idea to find this big ass snake. Yeah. Um, and so there are things like that, that I wasn't expecting um, rewatching this. Cause I don't think I've watched this since maybe the early 2000s. But unlike wow. you, I've probably watched this like ten times. Really, but I watched oh, man. it a lot when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, that's hilarious. Definitely a kids' movie. This one. <laughs>
1: um, well, I just was in it? Things... I was in it for the snakes.
0: Yeah! Oh hell yeah! <laughs> we have so many examples of those movies for us as kids: Godzilla, uh, oh, yeah. the Lost World, Jurassic Park. Like we were watching these movies and adoring them as kids, regardless of the. Shady plot and the you know the holes in it, the story and Just all I had no shit.
1: idea it was even happening.
0: Yeah, one thing I'll say about this movie, it is in the hands of of filmmakers who know what they're doing, and I think in terms of the like this movie could have been goofy to the point of like unwatchable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, the cinematography that this movie does. Which the, the guy's name? Let me find his name. I want to sing his praises. Bill Butler is the cinematographer of this movie. He manages to make the jungle look so good and so cool, but and like beautiful but ominous all at the same time. He they capture these amazing sunsets out on the on the river in the Amazon, which apparently a lot of this movie was shot in Brazil. Um, some of it was also shot in the Los Angeles Arboretum, which I thought was funny. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it just looks really good. And I think it's a testament to the, to the people behind the camera for making this movie as successful as it is and as rewatchable as it is too, because you know, there are other movies that have similar ideas like the movie Piranha, which is just a bunch of hot garbage. It's also fun, but not in the same way that this movie's fun. Um, mm-hmm. And they also do something interesting with the camera whenever it's, they they often will do something like it's from the Anaconda's point of view. Um, and you'll see the camera kind of like snaking its way through the underbrush, like kind of going under the water and over the water and clearly sneaking up on the boat. And all we see on camera is the boat and we're heading towards it, but we know we're looking at it through the snake's eyes. Um, and it, the camera does this tilting thing where it tilts to the side and we know oh the Anaconda's following the camera. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just they do these cool things the that I think are really successful. Yeah, exactly. And and I think without those things, without the camera crew being as good as they were, without the the ingenuity of the effects teams and all that kind of stuff, like this movie would be significantly worse. So I think it's the actors committing to these silly roles, the the cinematography, um, and Bill Butler's team, and and the effects, like we got to talk about the effects in this movie because they're so both hilarious and good. I don't know how they managed to do some of the things they do in this movie to make me laugh and also like rewind to watch it again because it's yeah. so good. It's I think there's so the, the
1: age old thing that animatronics, in my opinion, almost always hold up well to, to the passing of time. Mm-hmm. Where it might look like a little bit clunky, especially in the in the way that they move physically. But they right. look great. And they always do. Mm-hmm. Like when you watch the thing, it's like, this looks great. Yeah. So good. Like it doesn't yeah. even look. It just. God, I love that one. It looks old, but not dated. And I think those two things can be separated. Whereas with the CGI, it just looks kind yeah. of goofy but so yeah. this movie like blends that you you have to use the cgi because you need that fluid movement of this enormous snake through the environment mm-hmm. that you just can't do with an animatronic yeah it's not possible and it's cool to see you're you're seeing a 40 foot snake that's very live it's not like on its belly going two miles an hour like it's scooting
0: yeah it's really it's really moving along yeah there are certain moments where i think Like, you can tell it's a bit of both animatronics and some, you know, computer movie graphics, some VFX. And I think it's really impressive when they manage to do a bit of both and make me question what piece of it is CGI and what piece of it is an animatronic or just, like, sped up footage. Because there are certain moments, like, the snake will will lash out, grab someone, and then coil around the person... And the way that it does it, the camera's in movement, the snake is coiling around its prey, everything is moving, and it gets this feel like they've sped up the footage on something that is actually happening on camera Mm -hmm. so that it looks like it coils up really quickly. But there, there are certain moments in this movie where I was like, I can't tell if that is just fully CGI or if it's an animatronic or some type of puppet And they sped up the footage so that it looks Mm. quick, even though they did it over the course of, maybe they did it over the course of five minutes, coiling this puppet around this guy. Right. And slowly moving the camera with it. And it's not really clear. And I just love that because the effect ends up being the snake wraps itself around this guy really fast and it looks awesome. And And the shot only happens for like a second or a second and a half. So you don't really have time to pick out, oh, this looks dumb, but this looks good. Right, it all just like looks cool, and it and I think it works really well in in a lot of the shots in this movie. They certainly use real snakes for some stuff. They sure do. um, Which I I read somewhere.
1: Ethics of that.
0: The ethics of that, and also I read that it it delayed production sometimes because several of the cast members were afraid of the snakes. (laughs) I mean, it's like. You you got a role in this movie. If you were afraid of snakes, maybe don't audition for the movie Anaconda. Anaconda? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I thought it was only going to be CGI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I thought it was funny because I think at one point they blow up a bridge because they, they reach a bridge that is an obstacle to them. Oh, but yeah. Saron's like, well, this is the way to the Shirishama. And mm-hmm. do you want to waste two days going the other way? Because he's saying this in his ridiculous accent. Yeah. Um, or do you want to go through the gate in ten minutes? So they blow up the the bridge there, or whatever the the dam or thing that was blocking them, and it just rains snakes onto the boat. And a lot yeah. of these snakes are
0: pythons, which don't live in the Amazon, <laughs> 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 which is pretty funny. It's so funny. We should we should take a moment to just talk about snakes for a second because okay. I think this movie warrants it, and this movie. Gets some stuff right, but not everything. And then other things it really exaggerates, right? We already talked about how the green anaconda, which is a real snake, uh, it does not get as long as 40 feet, but it can get to 30, 33 feet, which is huge. But there are other snakes that can get a little bit longer. The reticulated python can get up to about 35 feet. And again, it is not common for these snakes to be that big. They're usually, usually you're going to find them between 16 and 22 feet, you know, but like, yeah, they could get 30 yeah, feet Yeah,
1: and there's a lot of sort of, uh, I guess, everyone wants to be the person who's found the biggest, the longest snake. And so oh, there's, yeah. there's disputed claims about which one's are veritable like uh-huh. did they kind of stretch the snake a little bit did, was their tape measure a little yeah. bit a little bit loose on that one and exactly. so there's a lot of fuzziness but the general picture is that reticulated pythons it seems like on the upper end can tend to be a little bit longer but the anacondas are girthy yeah and They're they are thick. massive yes so they weigh thick. more and that's the way that if I guess in the when I'm typically talking about animal size the basic metric I'm typically talking about is mass. Mhm. Because you can not have something length. that's not, not just, just height. length, not just height, exactly. Yeah. Talking about mass. So anacondas are still the most massive snake and they're among the largest in length and who knows maybe there's one out there that is even longer than the longest reticulated python, but talking yeah. in in averages, they're probably not quite as long as some of those are.
0: Yeah, and it makes sense because a reticulated python is like a really long but thin snake, and they're usually living in um, Southeast Asia. That's their their range. The rock python, which at the academy we had a rock python skin, um, which was a specimen that we had, we would bring out during our snake shows, and it was so cool. I mean, that thing was probably a good, what, twelve feet long. The one that we had. Those ones can get up to about 20, 25 feet long. So also a really big snake. But green anacondas, they can get up to 30. But here's the metric that really blew my mind. I'm getting this off of the National Geographic website. They have a little blurb about anacondas. They can weigh up to 550 pounds. So green anacondas are significantly bigger in terms of mass, weight, and also length. But more so like just girth of the actual snake itself. Like, that is huge. 20 to 30 feet long and 550 pounds. I mean, that thing would crush a reticulated python, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the classic snake wars. Yeah, exactly. Which we should also mention, it would literally crush because that's what they do. All three of those snakes I just mentioned are all constrictors. Um, ben, can you tell us a little bit about why some snakes are venomous, some are non-venomous? And some are constrictors.
1: I guess it depends what you mean by why. I don't necessarily know. Well, I guess uh, not why. Yeah, like, <laughs> like what the or like I how don't they necessarily get that way? know uh, in depth. <laughs> It'd actually be really fascinating to look this up, but sort of the origins of these features and these different groups of snakes. But you know, broadly speaking, as we were as we were drilled at Cal Academy, some snakes just grab their food and swallow it whole and don't have to really do much because it's relatively small prey. Mm -hmm. Some use venom to incapacitate their prey and then render them typically motionless so then they can eat it. Not poison? Not poison. The venom Uh. is uh, injected into the prey versus poison Uh. where if something were to eat them, they would be um, sickened by the toxins. So that is venom versus poison there in a tiny nutshell and then there are some snakes like the constrictors aka the pythons and boas mm-hmm. who use their muscles to squeeze their prey so hard that it also incapacitates them and they achieve that via basically causing blood vessels to be unable to pass blood around the body so that the prey will pass out or will basically have like a they can have blood vessel rupture from the pressure, mm-hmm. and in a slightly longer time frame, they'll suffocate because they won't be able to get oxygen throughout their tissues. But I think that a lot of the time, the kind of blood constriction, so the, them rendering the blood unable to pass through the body, is actually the quickest means to incapacitation versus suffocation. And speaking of suffocation, super awesome. Snakes, tracheas, extend all the way out into their mouths. So while they're taking a long time to swallow their prey whole, which is what they all do, they can breathe.
0: Yeah. So their,
1: like, windpipe entrance goes way, way, way forward compared to what we have because if we were to, you know, be stuck swallowing something for 10 minutes, we wouldn't be able to breathe. Uh, exactly. But they have an adaptation that allows them to account for that, which is super awesome. And it also makes it kind of seem like when snakes open their mouths, they got little straws sticking out of their mouths
0: underneath their tongues. Yeah, snakes are so cool. That was one of the my my favorite things we did working at the Academy of Sciences because I I had never touched a snake. Well, maybe I had like done like the two finger touch you do mm-hmm. like at the Academy, but I had never held a snake. Until I got the job, and they're like, okay, part of your job is you hold snakes during the snake program. Yeah. I was like, oh shit. That okay. was one of the most
1: fun parts and of the job for sure.
0: I fell in love with them. Yeah, snakes like, are awesome. The ball pythons are so cute. Uh the rainbow boa. Look, she was gorgeous. We should also mention a green anaconda is a species of boa. Yes, they're also and known so, as the water boa. Yeah, and they're and they live in South America exclusively. So again. That's another thing that this movie actually got right. Anacondas do live in the Amazon. Yes.
1: Good job, Anaconda. You set your movie in the right place. <laughs>
0: nice work. But uh, Plenty of movies do that very poorly. They're like, oh, my gosh, it's this big, amazing creature only found in Africa, but this movie is set in Florida. <laughs> actually, that's a bad example. Most yes, animals found anywhere could be found in Florida.
1: Right. Yeah. So like, that's <laughs> so interesting that you should say that because there are pythons that are from the pet trade or reptile collectors that have been mm-hmm. released into the Everglades because they got too big or too difficult to care for. And they're mm-hmm. actually thriving in that environment and they're causing havoc. So there are Horrifying. pythons in the Everglades. Typically, pythons are not endemic to North America or South America. They're like, you know, quote unquote, old world snakes. And That's so right. you have, uh, you know, boas and pythons do share a common ancestor, they're pretty closely related. But they split geographically a long time ago and they've since been separated. But now we have this situation in which introduced pythons can sometimes encounter boas. There are no native boas in the Everglades either, but you can imagine that this is probably happening throughout the Americas. So it could it could be, yeah. but particularly in the Everglades, you mean you have pythons sometimes eating young alligators.
0: Oh god. You got Burmese a pythons, of reptile titans.
1: Yeah, it's really wild. And it's one of those things where, of course, there's huge problems with introduced species that are introduced by human means. But mm-hmm. as a concept, this is like, we're going way above do I think it's problematic to have pythons in the Everglades? Because I think, yes, it is. Yes. But on a
0: really high level... Official real beast response. Yes, don't let your pets out into ecosystems that those pets don't belong in. Definitely or stamp at all. of approval. <laughs>
1: stamp of approval on that one. But from like a really long timescale perspective, level and of course it's again different because humans have agency to do this or not do this we have responsibility to not do it but basically invasions happen all the time and species necessarily invade new places in order to geographically spread so like if they are to spread geographically they will be invading a new place that's how it Mm -hmm. happens so like invasion as a concept there's no such thing as like the sanctity of this is this animal's territory, and that's just immutably how it will always be. That's like mm-hmm. saying the climate will never change and species will never evolve mm-hmm. or adapt. Like, that's just not a concept that has ever existed in the history of ever. So, the idea that, like, species, ca- like, a species being invasive is necessarily bad is more to do with the way that we view in- species that humans have taken places. But, you know, that's how animals get to islands. And then end up you end up getting the Galapagos. None of those animals evolved there initially. Like they all got carried there by either exploration if you're a winged animal, by fin if you're a swimming animal, or by like floating on a freaking log and just arriving there, which does Mm -hmm. happen. And you know, they're invasive in that place for the time being, and then they become the new endemic population after a while.
0: Yeah, after a long while. After a while. And long I guess while. that's also, you know, that's how animals do evolve. Like, they get to a new place, or they find a new food, or they realize there's a new niche they could invade. And over time, they become better adapted to that type of environment than the one that they had previously been in. And the cycle continues. The problem, I think, comes when humans do it without knowing the repercussions especially if it's an already unstable ecosystem, adding new things, whether it's from a pet that escaped or you drop off a pet because you don't want it anymore, like that can cause serious damage to ecosystems. So I agree with you. Like we shouldn't be like this can never happen because it does and it always has, but humans should not help it along (laughs) without knowing what the fuck we're doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and we've done it completely accidentally a lot of the time, like ballast water. Ballast water has carried marine animals from one pocket of water that would never touch another. And suddenly you've got barnacles and you've got all sorts of other creatures now exploring a new place. And that's a type of dispersal that would never happen otherwise, basically. Mm-hmm. like, And if it did, it would be on a really small scale, like you know, some kind of gull, carry a barnacle with it, to across some land you know that could happen but that barnacle wouldn't then go on to colonize that entire area because there'd be like one of them yeah you know not 10 million that this ballast water is constantly dropping off yeah uh, in a new big, place
0: big tanker accidentally brings all this a million of this species even if it's like a microscopic species like oh no a new influx of protozoa from one part of the world in a new part of the world like who knows what the repercussions of that will be?
1: Yeah, and you can't always know, and sometimes you have to kind of react to it. And there's even been many questions about, should we do should we do this deliberately to fix problems that we are now facing? Mm-hmm. And that's another slippery slope because we can't always predict what will happen. But as a concept, I'm actually kind of open-minded to just exploring the possibilities in the sense that I don't have like a, a strict view of like, this is how this should be versus mm-hmm. how it shouldn't be. I think like ecosystem function should come before species. That's my hot mm. take. That hot. That's a Spicy. hot take. Like <laughs> ecosystem function should be prioritized over the success or survival of particular species that we decide that we like. Mm-hmm. Because then we have preserved what that ecosystem kind of role is in the broader scheme of things. Versus sort of like, well, okay, we need this bird to survive. So we're going to cut down all these trees. We're going to open up this. We're going to kill this invasive frog. We're going to do this, this, and this just so this one bird can survive. And now we've slashed and burned everything else. And that's a big contentious point in conservation biology. What do you do about situations like that? Anyway, anacondas.
0: Yeah. Well, last thing I'll say is that all too often the cutest animals that are endangered get all the attention and then other animals that are equally or even more important for ecosystem function and health, but they ain't as cute, uh, might not get any of the attention that they actually need. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Survival of the cutest. Everything. Yeah. Otters, you know, where I live near Santa Cruz, otters are a great success story. Condors, significantly less cute, still need a lot of help. And they're also a great success story, but people focus on otters a lot more than they do condors. I don't know if it's their leathery, bald heads that turn people (laughs) off to condors, but I think they're gorgeous and amazing. That reminds me of uh, John
1: Hammond in Jurassic Park. Condors. Condors are on the verge of extinction. If I were to breed a flock of condors on this island, you wouldn't have anything to say about
0: it. we might because maybe condors weren't from there initially right John yeah Hammond. yeah
1: maybe uh maybe future future dr faulkner will be at the table there debating him yeah um, doc fock doc fock come into a theater near you in about 5 years <laughs> hopefully fewer than 5
0: yeah well this has been a fun ecology tangent um let's get back to the main topic at hand which is anacondas um Let me see. What was the other thing I wanted to say? There was a... Oh, there was a moment where... uh... One of the, I think, moments where this movie does something that is equally cool and goofy as shit. And part of it is just because of how it looked in 1997 when this was made, is at the end of the movie, the green anaconda wins, I guess. (laughs) It gets the people away from its territory. They all uh, are like, okay, Saron has been eaten. And regurgitated. uh, And then regurgitated. And then, yeah. And at one point, we see the snake under the water and it swims right in front of camera and you can see the outline of a human face inside of the snake's belly. Oh, that's when it ate Owen Wilson. Is that when it ate Owen Wilson? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm getting my moments mixed up. But it was (laughs) one of those moments where I was like, that is actually really fucking cool because it looked really horrifying. But at the same time, it was so absurd and silly, I could not stop laughing at it. Because
1: it looked like there was a Play Doh Owen Wilson inside of this snake. Yeah. Like there was something really doughy about it. Like I, I, I feel like I could have pressed yeah. on that snake's belly and would go, hoo hoo.
0: It's sort of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's sort of, it also had this look of like the T 1000 from Terminator 2 when he's like made of goopy metal and he yeah. doesn't really look like anything, but you can still kind of see features. Like it was sort of like that. But in, in the snake's belly, it was just bizarre. And I think emblematic of how this movie is both cool and I don't want to say stupid. I, w- I don't think this movie is a stupid movie. I think it's a goofy movie. Uh, I actually just that's a goofy movie is an actual movie is an actual movie. I think it uh, is. Which is also it's a
1: goofy movie, but it's not the goofy movie. Right. Yeah, there it is. Or is is, is, a, is the goofy movie called a goofy movie? It might be called a Goofy. Oh movie. man! I, I it is not the uh, Goofy movie.
0: Tell us what's true. Is it a Goofy movie or the Goofy movie? The world the, might never know. The first know. one. There's also a sequel of a Goofy movie.
1: Yeah, the first Goofy movie made me get really sad. Actually, I was very so, sad for Goofy so when his kid it's was so leaving, powerful. and he was looking at the little picture that he had, and it it started to yeah. animate, and it said, "Let's play ball, Dad." And he was like reminiscing about like when God. he was able to play with his kid before his kid got too cool and was like leaving. And I was a kid at the time in the let's play ball dad phase of life. And I instantly got sad for my future self not being (laughs) like that.
0: (laughs) It's an incredible father son story. And Powerline is still an incredible pop act. (laughs) Pop music act. People are still talking about it. I was actually just talking with my wife Antoinette about how do you think Disney, the studio, when they were making Goofy Movie, were they just trying to do a cash grab with an old Disney character? I can't imagine that they thought that we would still be talking about <laughs> and dressing as Powerline for Halloween in 2022. Like, 20, I don't even know when that movie came out. I think that was also a 90s movie, but. Man, the power that a goofy movie has over our generation is astounding and it's deserved because it's so good. But anyway, Anaconda is a goofy type of movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's what
1: I'm trying well, to say. Well done. Man, our tangents are really on a different level today.
0: And yeah, it's great. apologies to anyone who came here hoping for us to just talk about um, the plot of the
1: movie. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> One thing, um, a couple more things that I just want to touch on before Mm -hmm. we end today. I believe that in the Anaconda's lair, when it's just Ice Cube and J-Lo being used as bait, Serone douses them in monkey blood to make them even better bait. But I think later we see a bunch of baby Anacondas. Oh. And I... Do do believe that they are just a nest of baby anacondas, and I don't think they're eggshells, which is good because
0: anacondas give live birth. That's a good point. You're right. I didn't even catch that when we saw the nest. It is a bunch of little anacondas, I'm pretty sure, and you're right. Boas give live birth. Pythons lay eggs. That's another way that we know the New World, Old World type of snakes. They're both constrictors. But boas are in North and South America and pythons are in Africa and Asia, and, you know. And they give different forms of birth. That's yeah. fascinating. It's and one of those reptilian nice work. Work, Anaconda, things. You, you, always,
1: uh, you always think of all reptiles as egg layers. And in reality, you know, every amniote, uh, this will be brief, I promise, but every no, amniote do it. either has an internal or an external amniotic egg. It's just like, an egg or a sac that has amniotic fluid, and mm-hmm. basically an egg that's got different sections that we recognize today. So we are amniotes too. It's just that those eggs are internal. Mm-hmm. So that's something that all these things have in common, and it's sort of how the egg is expressed. Is it internal? Is it external? Does it have a hard shell? Does it have a leathery shell? All those mm-hmm. things are dependent on the group. But we typically think of reptiles as having, you know, they all lay eggs, they're all leathery, and they're all external. Mm-hmm. But and that's not actually the case. There are mm-hmm. things like anacondas that give the swarm of live young, but they're still sort of contained in these little membranous sacs internally, so it's like right. a, it's a little bit different than, they don't have like umbilical cords for all the little right. baby snakes, um, the way yeah, that humans do. Still,
0: it still feels sort of like a reptilian version of live birth. It's right. not like yeah. how we mammals do it. Or it's kind of like the sharks that marsupials. do that too. Oh yeah, yeah sharks, sharks do, yeah, do, yeah. Some
1: sharks do that. Not all sharks, but some sharks
0: will do a similar thing.
1: Anyway, neat stuff.
0: That was good. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's another that's another plus for, for anaconda. Yeah, anaconda in their science. <laughs> I
1: actually think that the Anaconda creature design for like its head is really good. It looks a lot like an Anaconda.
0: It does. And it and and like from the puppetry standpoint, it articulates really well. It looks great when they do those close-ups of just the snake's head. Like I think it's 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 amazing that they managed to make something look accurate and usable in the movie. Doing the things they needed it to do, like it's a testament to the to the creature creators and the, you know the the prop folks on this movie, like they did a great job. There's a lot about this movie that still holds up and is really great. Absolutely, other things that don't.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think um yeah, I think that just about covers what I want to say about this movie. There's more about sort of the snake evolution, snake origins that I think. We might be able to save for something that includes ancient snakes. Uh, that might yeah. be something fun for that. But one thing that uh, I think you mentioned to me before we opened today was an Ebert quote about this film. And maybe that'll be something to, to end on for this episode.
0: Yes, I did. Let me see where it went. It
1: has something to do with a very slimy John Voight appearing at the end.
0: Yeah. Here's, here's the way... So it begins with part of the quote from the very beginning of the movie that comes up on screen before anything else happens in the film. It says, quote, Alone among snakes, anacondas are unique. After eating their prey, they regurgitate in order to eat again. End quote. Which, you know, not exactly true. Whatever. <laughs> but Roger Ebert says, This information is included in the opening titles of Anaconda. And as the words rolled across the screen... I heard a chuckle in the theater. It came from me. I sensed with a deep certainty that before the movie was over, I would see an anaconda regurgitate its prey. Human prey, preferably. Anaconda did not disappoint me. It's a slick, slick, scary, funny creature feature, beautifully photographed and splendidly acted in high adventure style. Its snakes are thoroughly satisfying. It's just, I if Roger Ebert liked this movie, he gave it three and a half stars, which is it's pretty incredible. high for a Roger Ebert yeah. movie. Um, the last thing I'll say is his final little little paragraph here. Anaconda is an example of one of the hardest kinds of films to make well, a superior mass audience entertainment. It's got the effects and the thrills, but it also has big laughs, quirky dialogue, and a gruesome imagination you've got to like a film where a lustful couple sneaks out into the dangerous jungle at night and suddenly the guy whispers wait did you hear that silence which is <laughs> how Roger Ebert ends his fucking criti- critique oh, of so anaconda wild. that was that was Owen Wilson's character out in the jungle trying to hook up <laughs> and they are just it's so goofy. There's so much about this movie that I love. There's a lot about it that I think could be done a hell of a lot better or didn't even need to occur. But out of five, let's say out of five snake skins, how would mm. you rate this one, Ben?
1: I would rate this as a... It's Again, I feel torn here because as a movie, it's like a really weird strange creature movie that Mm -hmm. has a fake Paraguayan John Voight yeah but like okay I give this a three and a half snake skins out of five yeah that's very fair I I actually loved watching it but again it's Mm -hmm. not that good of a movie or it's not that good of a film yeah you know with with quotes around it it's not great cinema and it's it's got a lot of you know things that you couldn't do today but like mm-hmm. man when i was getting just super frustrated with my computer software i i joked to my housemate and i just yelled john voye and i wrapped my legs around my computer and started thrashing around like he does <laughs> where he strangles somebody after jumping 10 feet in the air and wraps his legs around the neck of a character while he starts to recite Latin because he was a failed priest.
0: There's so much going on (laughs) in this in this one character. Yeah, so (laughs) like I think like
1: this this would have been a you know two and a half star movie that's elevated significantly by the sheer memorability of John Voight's performance. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know what? I I totally agree. I actually I think I would give this movie. A shocking four snakeskins out wow, of five. Nice. Because of if if for nothing else, this movie has gumption. It has an idea, it it sticks to the idea, it doesn't always do it that successfully, but man, is it a fun time watching it try. And it is just it is just delightful. And I'm glad they don't make adventure action movies exactly like this anymore because there's way more uh like there's way more stuff you can have women characters do than this movie allowed them to do this movie just let j-lo look really hot and kind of nothing else it's j-lo she can do a hell of a lot she was just finished the movie selena right before this movie came out like she is an incredible actor and they really underutilized her they really underutilized, I think, Danny Trejo. <laughs> yeah. And so there's just things about this movie that are like, ah, oh, it's, it's disappointing. But at the same time, there's a lot to love. It's it's the action. It's the snakes. It's the cinematography. The whole vibe of this movie feels really like you're on an ominous river jungle voyage. Like, it does a lot of things really well to make this a cut above your normal B-movie horror creature features. And yeah, so four out of 5 snake skins. And again, I'm I'm being generous with with this one, but I'm well aware of it. <laughs>
1: there you have it. Some pretty there good reviews for Anaconda, this 1997 snake cult classic featuring Dude. constriction and winking regurgitated republicans.
0: Man, what a what a fucking movie. It's one step short of a disaster and it takes a lot of things not so seriously that it works in the end
1: <laughs> yeah I mean John Voight freaking winks at JLo yeah. after he's regurgitated
0: he's like a he's like a partially digested lump of person and he winks at her before he falls over like fuck off more movies should be Unbelievable. this weird <laughs> yeah alright well that was fun this was fun Ben, always a pleasure. We'll we'll get back into a normal recording schedule now that grad school is kind of leveling out for both of us. So, folks, thank you again for waiting on us and joining us yet again for another episode of Real Beasts. We've got some more coming down the pipe for you, so stick with us, stay tuned, and thanks for joining us for another year. We're recording That's this true. just before the new year. Oh my goodness! It's About to be um, our two-year anniversary, our second how Hatch crazy. Day. Our second hatch day. Wow! Because Congrats, unlike an
1: anaconda, real beast does come out
0: of an egg. It does indeed. No life birth here. <laughs> it does incubate <laughs> in a hard hard shell or leathery shell. I'd I say think a, this show has a hard shell. It's
1: a hard shell, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, hard boiled content coming to you. All right, well Ben, nice work. It's always fun. Nice work, David. Real beast is out. Until next time, bye y'all.